0: As ready
1: as we'll ever be.
0: <laughs> all right, let's pray. Today uh, we'll, we'll draw from Psalm 86. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer us, for we are poor and needy. Preserve our lives, for we are godly. Save your servants who trust in you. You are our God. Be gracious to us, O Lord, for to you do we cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servants, the souls of your servants, for to you, O Lord, do I lift, do we lift up our souls? For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to our prayers. Listen to our pleas <throat> for grace. In the day of our trouble we call upon you, for you answer us. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach us your ways, O Lord, that we may walk in your truth. Unite our hearts to fear your name. We give thanks to you, O Lord our God, with our whole heart and we will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward us. You have delivered our lives, delivered our souls from the depths of the places of the dead. O God, insolent people have risen up against us, against your church, against all your people. A band of ruthless people seeks our life and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, Slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to us and be gracious to us. Give your strength to your servants, and save the sons and daughters of your maidservants. Show us a sign of your favor, that those who hate us may see and be put to shame, because you, Lord, have helped us and comforted us. Amen. Amen. So, uh, today, we are wrapping up the, uh, the sermon series on Ephesians in our worship services. Um, the next uh, book that we're going to do a kind of semi-continuous reading of is the book of James. Um, and uh, for those of you who are kind of familiar with the, the Lutheran uh, look at James, uh, this is going to be challenging. Um, Luther once called it a uh, an epistle of straw um, and uh, commented that uh, of all the books of the Bible, he'd like to chuck that one. Um, but uh, um, later on in his life, he's like, there's good stuff in there. It's just that it doesn't push the gospel the way that he would have liked to have seen it to do. Um, so it's, it is valuable to us. And... Uh, um, and we'll talk more about that, you know, as the uh, as we get into that book in in the worship services. But it's been a it's been interesting to me um, teaching the class on Romans, and also diving a little bit more deeply into Ephesians across the last six or seven weeks here, you know, because you have these two letters that are written by Paul, and you can see the some of the themes that they're very much in common, messages of grace and faith and redemption and and even talking about baptism in both of them and you know you can see that in different layers in both of the books but also that both of the books have different emphases you know Romans is very much about righteousness and understanding righteousness. Mm -hmm. Ephesians more presupposes this understanding of righteousness and it talks a lot more about unity and belonging, you know, and uh, the unity between um, the uh, the Gentiles and the Jews in Ephesus. Um, and uh, it's been really interesting to me, anyhow, you know, seeing how there's just very much this this emphasis on being turned out toward your neighbor. Yeah. You know, and, and it's one of the things that...
2: Do you, do you think Paul was, was more like, oh... Well, what topic should I write on today, or more like, this is going to a specific church. What do they need to hear?
0: I think the latter.
2: Yeah,
0: you know, um, I, I think that you know he he's hearing things about these congregations, yeah. you know, uh, and and he is responding to them in ways that help them to, to know who Jesus is and and uh-huh. to um, address sin. In, in their congregations but also to uh, to speak the word of forgiveness uh, to that particular sin that, that they're um, dealing with right there um, you know so in galatians you know he, he starts out uh, Galatians is another one that's very much about uh, the righteousness of God uh, it's it's also very much that this is a, a gift that is given to you and you know he starts out with them and he's like who's bewitched you You know what in the world? Basically, what in the world happened to you? You know, Corinth. Corinthians has a completely different tone. You know, this is a congregation that had all all Mm -hmm. kinds of problems, and he, you know, he's there's a conflict there, and and, you know, he's dealing with all these different things. So each one has their different tone and their different uh, um, matters that they're dealing with. Although Ephesians and Colossians were likely written at about the same time, and when you read them, you will see phrases that are almost exactly the same in both of the letters. You know, it's kind of kind of fun. You know, when you when you start comparing letters that were written, um, how you know, I don't know. I repeat myself all the time. You know, you use phrases.
1: You copy and pasted,
0: right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, there, there are things that uh, that I say at home, and my kids can finish the statement just like that, <laughs> you know. And I, 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 you can see bits of that when you when you look closely at uh, at these things. So, good stuff, I think. Um, so we are in Romans here, and uh, um, that being the case, we're we're slowly working our way through. Uh, chapter six, a lot of good stuff about baptism in here, and that's the context that we're still reading in here that we're, we're talking about being baptized into Christ, being baptized into His death. <laughs> and um, verses five through eleven, and we'll, we'll see how much of this we, we uh, get through today. Um, I'm, I'm hoping to get through at least verse nine, um, but uh, you know we'll see. Uh, For if we have been united with we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So in uh, in verse 5, it says we've been united with him um, been united is uh, kind of a a perfect verb in English, but it's actually using an adjective. You know, it's it's, it's describing us. Um, it, it's not that you know. There's this action of uniting. It is you know a, a state of being that uh, you know is being described here. We've been bound together with him. We become of the same kind. Is kind of the idea. Uh, behind this word and there's actually a kind of an organic idea behind the word where we grow together and I think that that's I think that might be important as we look forward in the book because there's a whole bit coming up about being grafted into Christ you know and so you, you know the process of grafting where you take a branch from one thing and you put it on another and it Actually grows together. I, I think we're getting kind of first glimpses of of, of that message that's coming up. Uh, that that we are actually connected to Christ in a way where we grow together and become part of one another. Um, it's also used kind of medically, uh, like when you have a cut and the skin grows together. And, you know, it's not that uh, you have n- new skins per se. It's you know. It, it's woven together and it belongs uh-huh. to it to itself. And, and so if we have become united with Jesus in the likeness of his death, uh, it, you know we've been buried with Jesus in baptism. we've received his death. It, it's emphasizing um, the next point that we will also be like him, united with him of the same kind as him in the resurrection. We're going to be united in the likeness of his resurrection. So you have those two points, death and resurrection, um, working together. You're buried with him to be alive with him. In the likeness of his death, you, know, you have died to sin. In the likeness of his resurrection, you are alive to God. And it says that knowing this, that our old man has been crucified together with him, again, kind of foundational knowledge, He's, he's keeping back to this. Um, there's some strange grammar uh, in, in verse 6. Um, when, when you look at, uh, you know, talking about knowing that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought uh, to nothing, um there, are, there are bits and pieces of that that are missing, that have to be inserted by the translator, and and basically, when when have you ever been around people that say you want to come with?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: You know that, that was really common where you know where I grew up, and you know it kind of drove my dad kind of crazy. He'd be like, with what? <laughs> <laughs> you, <can believe. laughs> you know, I it mean, is but. Because we're used to it, we know what to insert that there. You want to come with me, right? We, we put the pronoun in there. And, and that's basically what's happening here. So you, you got to uh, supply the pronoun um, knowing this, that our old man has been cru- crucified together with, well, with who? Well, who's crucified? Mm-hmm. Jesus. Um, and uh, the purpose of this being crucified with, is that it may cause the, the body of sin. Um, it, it, it says that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Um, it's an interesting word uh, that it would be left unemployed, <laughs> that it would be abolished, um, it become inactive. Um, I think uh, the King James has it uh, that it would be brought to nothing. Um, but basically, that the body of of death, uh, or that the uh, the body of sin, um, would be shut down. Is kind of the idea. So you're you're a sin factory,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and we're 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 closing down the business. We're closing down the sin business, and uh, we're being retooled for something else. Um, so what do we mean by the body of sin? What is that? What is that talking about? Is it saying that that um, flesh is evil, no. and uh, it, that uh, you know the the goal is to you know kind of rise above the the flesh and to become something different?
2: Not all sin is of the flesh. True. So the body of sin must be something more than that. And maybe something less at the same time. Okay. Not everything that the body does is evil. Right. We can do good things with our bodies. <laughs> I'm rambling. I just, just yeah. don't have a conclusion. But
0: yeah, I think that this is one of those kind of strange phrases that uh, uh, can be misconstrued because there are um, ideas out there that uh, that the whole goal of your life is to get rid of your body. You know, um, this is kind of central um, to uh, some of the Eastern meditation type of things, where um, you you want to get rid of your desires, you want to get rid of your earthly attachments, so that your spirits can rise. This was a big part of uh, medieval uh, Christianity, in fact. Um, and it's rooted in ideas of that heresy that we've mentioned before called Gnosticism. And, um, you know, there's nothing new. I mean, no. when you look at these different heresies, they, they all tie together. Um, but, uh, you know, this one in particular is this idea that, you know, there's a great spirit out there, and our goal is for our spirits to become united with that spirit and to shuck this earthly coil Mm -hmm. and become pure spirit you know so we seek what we can do to to ascend to god Um, and there's a danger that we can slip into a kind of of dualism you know where the flesh and all things physical are tied to what or associated with what's evil and then all things spiritual are what's good but there are bad spirits in the world Mm mm-hmm and not everything that flows from our spirits as sinners is good. You know, the goal is that both body and soul will be uh, redeemed. So, what Paul's doing is he's recognizing that there is corruption in our earthly nature. Uh, and, uh, you know. In the, uh, in
2: the first chapters of Genesis, the creation. Mm-hmm. Every day ends with, and he saw it was good. Yeah. So the
0: created world was good. Absolutely. Until it became corrupted. And it still is. It, and we're going to get into this in Romans. It's just that it's been subjected to futility because of our sin. That's coming up in chapter eight. Um, you know, so. There are good gifts and good blessings that are in this world for us, but there is a uh, there's a pollution,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the world doesn't want it, but it's there. You know, and uh, the and, world does want it; it just doesn't want to admit it. No, the world, the creation, ah, okay, does not want it. You know, when we start talking about the world, like <laughs> the devil, the world, in our own sinful nature, like we do in the Catechism that's more about kind of the, the the order of the world you know the societal structures okay. and it's not about you know the grass and the deers and deer and the rocks by the way two huge bucks on the property here I mean cool big big boys um, so when you come into church you know keep your eyes open you know you might you might see something kind of magnificent in the creation that we get to uh, enjoy here so
1: and sometimes they use body to be the totality of something the body of his work right so i think sometimes that could be the body of sin is just the whole grouping of all of the sin yeah.
0: yeah yeah absolutely it you know so what i want to make sure that we avoid is this uh this idea that um flesh is evil and spirit is good
1: when you look at what some people are thinking you know that's not right
0: yeah but he very much paul will very much locate sin in the body you know as he talks about this and he he'll contrast it with the new life that has come to us and he identifies that as being in the spirit but he's not saying the body is bad and the spirit is good he's but he's, he's recognizing that we have these two parts to us. And so the body is the part that's going to die. Yeah. And, and so he kind of leaves sin right there and says, this is the part that's going to die. And, you know, consequences, the wages of sin is death. And, and so he, we're going to leave that right there. But we have a new life that's within us. Well, how do we understand that? Well, that's our spirit. And, and, and you know, and that's the part that lives forever because it was already dead and now is alive again. That's Ephesians chapter 2, right? Yeah. You know, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but now you've been made alive with Christ. Yeah,
2: There was that whole thing, was, was it Thomas More, I think, who was like Archbishop of Canterbury, Canterbury yeah. and was always regarded by the the, 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 the monks and the, and the village priests as being very worldly and above. Mm-hmm. You know, and not really, and then they were just amazed when he died. And as his body started to cool, the vermin left ticks, fleas, lice, whole oh, sure. procession crawling away from the body. And they discovered he'd been wearing a hair shirt hmm. underneath his fancy stuff. And they were just delighted. Oh, he's really one of us. And, you know, I. <laughs> It always hit me is that's really not the way to holiness, you know, but right. it, it was just, I don't know, just an interesting scene and thought that that happening.
0: Wasn't he killed by the king? I think so.
2: Yeah, I think it was, it was all Henry VIII and. What's that? Was that Beckett?
0: Maybe that was Beckett.
2: Oh, yeah, I get those two confused, too.
0: Two Thomases, right? Yeah. They
2: sound almost the same.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So,
2: it's kind of like, we can, we can say, it's kind of like the corruption of
0: our human nature. Say that again, I just got a text message from my son that I, my ADD kicked so in. It's like uh,
2: corruption of our human nature?
0: Yes. You know, and so when we start talking about what is this corruption, does that corruption apply to our body and our spirit? Well, certainly. Um, but now as God is working in us, you know, our spirit is made alive again, uh, or alive anew in Christ. And, and so he's using those two parts of who we are to, to give us a picture of how God is at work in our lives. Because we recognize that the corruption in our bodies is going to lead to death. And we recognize that even after we die, our spirit remains alive. You know, and so he's just, he's playing with that to help us to understand sin is dead. It's gonna be buried in the grave. It's already buried in the grave with Jesus but now you have a new life you know and this is that life of the spirit that he's talking about but it's still lived out in the body you know and and uh, Jesus redemption is not just for our spirits but it's for our our spirits and our bodies and uh, the trick in this is that we don't experience the full redemption of our bodies until after the resurrection which is ours you know, it's just that we ain't there yet. It's the now, not yet. You know, you have been raised with Christ. But wait a minute, my body is still, you know, old and falling apart. I mm-hmm. had to get up last night and take ibuprofen, you know. Welcome you know, to the club. Like, eh, What's this pain? And
1: Welcome to the club.
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, this is the way of this world.
1: Mm-hmm. That's not why I had to get up. Well, I I have to do that, too. too. (laughs) So, Isn't it amazing how we understand each other? (laughs) Nobody says, what are you talking about? Everybody goes,
0: yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All the geezers. (laughs) Geezeresses. So the result of the old man being crucified with Jesus and the abolition of the, the, the body of death is that we're no longer slaves to sin. But it sure feels like it sometimes, doesn't it?
1: Well, I think we kind of choose it.
0: Yeah. We're,
1: we're, we're still, we're not slaves. <coughs> we're still looking back at it and thinking, you know, I was really having a good time. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, th- this language of slavery, is, is it's really uncomfortable for us. Um, Americans have a strange, um, really bitter relationship with slavery. Uh, because the manifestation of slavery in the United States was particularly awful. Um, But slavery's been around for a long time. forever. Uh, And uh, um, when you look even in the scriptures, there is slavery that that is experienced throughout the, the, uh, the Bible. In fact, that is the heart of the redemption story for the Jews. That they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and then God rescued them with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. You remember, you know, the, the plagues and you know the death of the firstborn and, and all of those those things. Um, and when we look at our lives, as particularly, I think as Americans, we have this concept that we're free to do whatever we want. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe within some boundaries, but we're free. Right. Um, you know and that, that's kind of the attitude that I think you know we're raised with. Um, the picture that the scriptures really present for us is that you're free to sin apart from Christ. And then once we have Christ's salvation in us, then you have a new freedom to righteousness in righteousness. That's gift that's God's given to us. So, I want to take a look at John chapter 8 verses 31 through 38 where Jesus has this really, I think, fascinating conversation um, with uh, the Jews. And when, when John uses the word Jews, he's basically talking about you know, the Jewish leaders. And uh, in, in chapter 8, they're kind of going after him. Um, there's been a couple of conflicts. Uh, in the beginning of chapter 8, you've got the account of the woman caught in adultery where uh, he says you who with, are without sin cast the first stone and, nobody did. and they all walk away the oldest first and then the youngest because the older are wiser mm-hmm. right yes so yes. and then uh, the whole thing about i am the light of the world he's talking about how they are in darkness
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they're they're not happy with him they're, they're really rather upset and 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 so jesus said to the jews who had believed in him if you abide in my words, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, set you free. Yeah. And they answered him, We're the offspring of Abraham and have never been slaves enslaved to anyone,
2: which is not necessarily anything. Well,
0: that's true
1: they were very forgetful of their history when they
0: wanted to be. Yeah, so you know we we are offspring of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? free? You know, the heart of their story is the Passover. Right. That God sets them free, but now they're saying we've never been enslaved. <laughs> and Jesus answered them, truly I truly 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 I say to you, Everyone who commits sin is a slave Slave. to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And then he really drives the stake because he identifies their father. Do You remember who? The devil. The devil, yeah. And that's you know, and he's making that same picture that you know, in our sin, you're free. Yeah. I mean, isn't isn't that the way that we imagine freedom? Quite often, I can do what I want with whom I want. You know, it doesn't matter, and because I'm free. Uh-huh. Just um, like
1: a little kindergarten kid who stands there with his hands on his hips yeah. and stamps his foot and says, You can't make me. You
0: know, and, and ultimately it's, I am my own God. Uh-huh. I decide what's right and what's wrong. Except that when that bumps up against God, your, your free choice is sin. And it's only after Christ's redemption. But then we find acts of righteousness in God's sight. Uh, you know. And uh, in, in Romans 14, we're, we're really going to be confronted with this idea that everything that is not of Christ is sin. And that's the message that, that Paul is, is going to really push, that the Spirit of God through Paul is pushing for us. So we are free, apart from Christ, to choose sin, and we are free in Christ to live in righteousness. And what's Paul's emphasis with righteousness? It is a gift. And it's a gift that's connection, connected to the reception and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So everything done in faith is holy. And everything done apart from faith is sin no matter how the world looks at either of those things. He says, For the one who has died has been justified. And I keep keep using this idea, justified passively, declared righteous from sin. It's a gift. And this passage in particular is one that all the English translations get wrong. Um, when you look at what it says in in verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin, but that's not what it says in the original. It says the one who has died has been justified from sin. And you can see where they get the the idea of you've been freed. But remember early on I I talked about that word dikeosune, and there's all those different dikio verbs and words that are peppered throughout this book. It's that word. And the one who has died has been justified from sin, is declared righteous from sin. Sin no longer has any uh, hold of him or her. Yeah.
2: You know, outside of this context, when I see the word justified, It always means, you know that bad thing I did? I actually had a good reason for it. Yeah. And this seems to be a very different... It is. ...definition of justify. It is. And I'm not sure if we have a good word for what this is supposed to mean. Justify is right. It's like justifying your typesetting.
0: Yep. And so what happens is, I do something wrong, and I try to justify it, Mm -hmm. meaning I try to excuse it and make it, you know, this was, what I did was right. You know, so I declare it to be right. What God is saying here is, you know, your declaration means nothing. Mine, however, God's, however, means everything. And in Christ, he declares you to be righteous, that your sins are forgiven, that you are alive in a whole new way, and that you are indeed right with God because of what Jesus has done not because of what you've done you know so i mean think about this for just a second what 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 is the goal what's jesus goal is it to fix your life so that you can you know be a better person or is it to reconcile you to himself
2: mm-hmm. i think it's reconciled.
0: it is absolutely now when Jesus reconciles us to Himself, does it follow that there should be changes in our behavior? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Going back to to Ephesians, you know, being children of darkness as opposed to children of light. Once you were in darkness, now you are children of light. That's that's another metaphor for what he's talking about here. You know, you were. In sin you were separated and, and, and you know, nowhere aligned with God and now he has made you right. He has declared you as a free gift to be righteous in his sight because of what Jesus did. And I think that sometimes, you know, we get a little bit more fixated on the behavior part instead of the justified part. That being said, I think sometimes we don't always make a good connection from the justified back to this changes the way that you interact with the world now. You know, and, and they have to play off of each other. But it's always rooted in what Jesus has done. Going back to the Gospel of John, I am the vine, you are the branches. You know, how do you accomplish much? in him you have to be in him connected to him that's what changes us Um so what if in, this is a thought that crossed my mind what if enslavement to sin is punishment for sin
1: <laughs> yeah you want it so bad go ahead and have it yeah because the root
0: sin is I am God uh huh And God says, okay, have Uh it your way.
1: Uh
0: huh. You know, God punishes sin by letting you sin.
1: He has a sense of humor.
0: It's kind of what it says in Romans chapter 1. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In, in other words, you know, the punishment for sin is to be left in it and left with its consequences. So I, I don't completely understand why they chose to use the word freedom. I, I kind of get it. Um, but it's really not the central point of the letter. The central point of the letter is really all about justification.
1: Maybe they can't make the distinction.
0: It's it's. What's that?
1: Maybe they can't make the distinction. They're using one word they like, and because they can't figure out when to use what.
0: Yeah. I mean, I. Yeah, I. I think they are trying to bring the idea apart, you know, across, but. Uh, You know, I don't think that this was something that they did maliciously or or, or anything like that. But it does sound weird that the one who has died in Christ is justified.
1: Made just?
0: Right. So are we free to sin that grace may abound? Back to verse 1 of chapter 6. No way. You died and are passively declared righteous in God's sight. That's your confidence. What God says, not what we do. And for those of you who know the Catechism, this is the section that really uh, informs Luther's teaching on baptism. Um, specifically, that fourth question What does baptizing with water indicate? It indicates that the old Adam in us should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die, and that all sins, with all sins and evil desires, and that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. This is one of the reasons I really like baptism by immersion. I've only done it twice in my career, uh, but uh, there is something about that image of the person going down in the water and a new person coming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that, by the way, is symbolism. The person, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
0: under the water and up. Yeah. You know, the reality is definitely, you know the water connected to the word, whether it's poured, sprinkled, dunked, um, the person's washed. So in in verse 8, he he starts out, he says, now if, um, it's actually for if, and if, uh, so Paul is building on what he had said before. Now if the one, um, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. The one who died is justified from sin, and if we died with Christ, we believe that we're also going to live with or in him. Notice that this it's always connecting us back to Christ. It's always connecting us to Jesus. Jesus is the one that's doing all the work. In Greek, eight and nine are one sentence. Okay? Um, so, uh, I would translate this, uh, this way. And if we were raised with Christ, we believe that we will also live with or in him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, no longer dies. Death no longer no longer rules him, it no longer dominates him, it's no longer his master. It's just all one thought. And the idea that, that death rules in this world, it's something that it's kind of obvious. <laughs> but it's like people will live in denial of it as well mm-hmm. you know you know, we we, uh, we look around and, and you know you can see death everywhere and yet you know it's it, it, it's never going to touch me right you know I'm going to you know kind of you know keep on and you know and, and do what I need to do um, you know, and I think a lot of times people are in denial about this. Now, the word when it says that uh, uh, death no longer, um, uh, how does it put it in the uh, ESV? Uh, death will no longer have dominion over him. That's related to uh, the word Kyrie, like Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. And so it, it's kind of the sense of death is not Jesus' Lord. Um and as I think about, you know, this whole issue with death, if the chief temptation is that we make ourselves out to be gods, then this this denial regarding death, it's a continuation of the same attitude. You know, that that we're going to overcome death. Uh-huh. You know, and, uh, and and I was thinking about you know, where where in the world can we see, you know, people trying to be lords over death? And uh, I'm not talking about you know, things that we do to, to protect and preserve life um, because we, we have good gifts that God gives us to help us to heal people and, and to prevent them from dying. You know, but these are things that, that we do um, in order to, uh, in a sense, live forever. And uh, I thought about Walt Disney. The story goes, I don't know if this is true or not, that he's cryogenically frozen somewhere. So that someday they can bring him back to life once they figure out what to do.
1: And we'll have new shows.
0: I, I there you go. I, I've heard I, I've heard the same thing of Ted Williams, the baseball player. Oh. That he's cryogenically frozen somewhere. You know, and that someday, you know, their the goal is that they'll wake him up. Or Ted's goal was I preferred the, sleeper. Sleeper? What are you, I haven't seen
2: that one. Oh, he's got a bad disease. He's, he's done everything for his health, but he's still got this bad disease. So they, they put him to sleep until somebody comes up with a cure for it. And so and finally they wake him up and they said, okay, we've got all the latest stuff. First, got to smoke a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> and then we got a big steak and, and everything he thought was healthy is well. that's what killed you.
0: But this, this is one of the things that, we, that our society has done. I think that this has moved into pseudoscience than actual science, but uh, um, you know, in order to evade death. Have you heard of transhumanism? Transhumanism is basically um, connecting uh, technology to our bodies to help us to live better. So there are some therapies that, that do this, that are actually, I think, quite good and helpful. Like a pacemaker,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know. When I first started in the ministry, I mean, getting a pacemaker was a big deal. It was a very invasive surgery, mm-hmm. and uh, um, you know, and and then you know they had to change the battery every however many years or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was a big deal, and and now. Um, you know, they have these things that they're actually even a defibrillator, so that if you were to have some kind of a heart attack, that the pacemaker then you know, gets your heart going again. But there are, there are other uh, ways of uh, incorporating technology into our, our bodies that people are, are exploring to try to rise trans beyond being human. You know, and it's, you know, some of it's fine. Mm-hmm. I, I'm very thankful for the, uh, the the technology of lenses, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These things, you know, that's a form of technology. Mm-hmm. It's an old form. Um, I, I, you know, I'm thankful for these things. I'm thankful that God has given us ways to, you know, overcome some of these weaknesses of, of our, our bodies. I think that uh, pacemakers are probably a pretty darn good thing. I don't know that I need to have a chip in my brain to make me think faster.
1: I don't think we could deal with it because we can't catch up with you now.
0: <laughs> but, Cri-
1: you know, there are so many things that we do, the medicines we take and the doctor's appointments that we have to try to get our bodies in better condition and then stay that way. Yeah. Even to, you know, want to put 110 and get into a, you know... I don't want to live that long. Some people do. I know, I don't understand it. I think you get to a certain point and your body says, that's it, I'm done. And I think God says, you've been, you know, you've done enough. It's time to come home now. and I say, okay.
0: One of the subsets of transhumanism is what's called whole brain emulation. Oh. <laughs> it... it basic parlance. it's uploading your consciousness into the cloud or onto a computer. One of my favorite comments I heard in a conversation about this was, well if they come up with this I sure hope they upload my mind to an apple because PC is full of viruses. Can you imagine that? You know, you get your consciousness up and all of a sudden there's all these virus glitches that are... Yeah,
2: there's a series I guess called altered
0: carbon. Altered carbon. Yeah. Okay, you're familiar with Oh that. yeah. Yeah. Where that one actually are. I think takes the next step too where they clone their bodies and they have their bodies there and then they right. just upload the consciousness. But you
2: can't afford that. You just take some other body. And so and they, they come to refer to the physical body as a sleeve. Mm. It's just what goes around this thing that's in your neck that has all of yourself recorded.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was a uh, a movie in the '90s um, with Mick Jagger in it called New Jack City. Same kind of idea. They would uh, there's a time travel aspect where they would take people who who were about to die in a terrible accident or something like that, and they would take them, jack them, like you know, carjacking. And uh, then they would, you know, you were gonna die anyhow. So we're oh, just gonna upload goodness. a new consciousness into your body. And too bad for you. <laughs> But I think that this, you know, this goes into the fitness, the vitamins, the dieting. Um, and some of this stuff, like I said, some of this is fine. It's using what God has given us. But I also think that sometimes it, it can cross a boundary where we're trying to just live forever. Mm-hmm. And that's not what we're made for. Well, it is what we're made for, but falling <laughs> into sin. Not to shame. But not not in our current state. And I actually worry about some of this in regard to COVID. You know, that that we have become so concerned about dying that that the the fear overwhelms us. Now did I just say that we shouldn't like help people who have COVID or try to prevent or No, I'm not saying that. But but I am concerned that you know some of these these things that, you know, in the way that we're looking at what's happening in the world, it, it flows from either an overinflated sense of our freedom, or a, a deep fear. You know it, that I'm going to die. Yeah. I heard
1: a thing this week about the God of Safety, and and how so much of what we do today is about safety and how biblical is safety how much did Jesus ever talk about safety and again not that we shouldn't be safe but when that
0: becomes the end game right that's not what Jesus called us to as far as that so I I don't I'm not trying to heap guilt on anybody or anything like that with this statement but when I was coming in this morning I was thinking about our confirmation vows that you know I, I will risk everything including death rather than fall away from this faith. Right? Mm-hmm. And and yet when I look at what's happened nationwide with COVID, you know, the the, the the attendance in churches, I mean we you know, we closed and all of these things and I'm like were we faithful to that vow? I think of a, I think of our, our brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan.
1: <laughs>
0: you know, now under the Taliban, there are people, brothers and sisters in Christ, who will come together to worship. And that's absolutely. If they're caught, they will be killed. You know, in. It, it, I think this is something that we need to wrestle with for ourselves. You know when it when when are my choices you know showing that I'm I'm not actually committed or that I'm wrestling with my commitment or
2: well a commitment to not fall away, what does it mean? If your faith is intact you know, you don't have to have a calendar and mark when was the last time I had That's, communion.
0: But if I'm not going to communion because I'm afraid, and you know, and, and there's all this, there are many different ways to receive it. Jesus says, "Do this." Mm-hmm. You know that this is something that is essential to your life of faith. You, you know, I, I I feel a tension there. Mm-hmm. I think that during the
2: medieval plagues, the physicians fled,
0: except for the Christians. Yeah. And and I'm not and I'm not trying to accuse anybody yeah. or or anything like that. You know, I I think that this is something that we have to look at in our own hearts because I mentioned Colossians earlier. It says you know let no one judge you in regard to a new moon or a Sabbath. You know. Okay, I'm I'm free. Really, I am free, um, you know, in terms of how I gather for worship or not, and all of those types of things. But at the same time, I I really rather understand that what happens in the body of Christ when we gather together, it's not it's not a nice add-on. It's actually an essential to the life of faith. You know, and I worry to some degree. That our fear of what's happening in the world overwhelms, you know, the the benefits that God gives as we gather as his people.
2: Yeah, I, I guess I just feel I feel constrained to not condemn people to death because you have to die in order to show you're a Christian. Or you, you have to be getting to almost certain you're going to die just to show you're a Christian. I, I, you know, God may make that judgment, but I'm not going
0: to. And I would argue that we haven't faced that risk.
2: <laughs> oh, you and I, no.
0: No. And yet, the people who are in that situation, that is the choice that they will make. Not all of them, but they will make the choice to come together. In in face of persecution, in face of certain death, they will still gather. Yeah, because that's what the church has always done, all the way back to the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, So, um, in terms of our our earthly engagement with death, there there are um, you know the best I think that we can do is to delay the inevitable. Is the inevitable of death worth delaying?
1: Well, if you delay it, you're still living here. Yeah. You still have to fix dinner and all this other kind of stuff. But if you don't delay it, you're in heaven. Right. Where 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 is the the problem there?
0: So in Philippians chapter one verse twenty one, Paul says, "To live is Christ." That sounds like a pretty darn good thing. Mm-hmm. To be the representation of Christ in this world, to share the hope that we have. To live is Christ.
1: To die is gain
0: but to die is gain, yeah? In other words, you win Mm -hmm. both sides, Mm -hmm. living, dying. So I find two attitudes um, uh, toward death uh, in the world and uh, there are poems on that last page that represent them. Um, One may be more familiar to you than the other, but I will submit them to you uh, for, for your own Edification. The first one is Dylan Thomas's "Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night," and the other is Psalm 90. Um, I don't know why it says 12 through 17. It's actually the whole, the whole um, chapter. But I think these are two very different ways of looking at death. So, all right, we got to wrap up. Uh, God's blessings. Um, this is, I think this is some challenging stuff. Oh, so yeah. if I'm leaving you in a place where you're like, I don't think I'm completely comfortable. That okay. Be good. I'm not always ch- completely sure that I'm completely comfortable. Uh-huh. You know, th- this is this is this is wrestling. Yeah. So it's good stuff. Thank you.